Philippians chapter number 2, Philippians chapter number 2, and uh, can we do as is our custom stand for the Word of God? You say, why do we stand for the Word of God? Well, have you noticed that we stand for dignitaries, we stand for celebrities, we stand for um, a, a concert, we can stand for when somebody does a good job, and yet... The Word of God, a precious book that we believe that uh, is inspired and is helpful and transformative. And sometimes we don't give it the reverence that I think it's often due. And so I'm old school that way. And I, I, I like to stand out of respect for the Word of God and the reading of the Word. It's not for me, but it is for the Word of God this morning. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 2, verse number 1. And we're going to go down through several verses. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, If therefore be there any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, of the bowels of mercy. You say, bowels of mercy. We're talking about bowels this morning. Well, that was another way to say the heart. And that was the seat of the emotions, was the bowels. Back then, you wouldn't say, I love you with all my heart. You would say to that person, I love you with all my bowels. And uh, today, it's just not as sexy as it was back then. But back then, that was what you said. That was just, that just got him going. And so here, he's saying, hey, with our heart, a spirit, a heart, and mercy. Verse number two, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and the things under earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, and this is the key verse, verse 12 and 13, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse 12, work out. Verse 13, God works in you. We say, wait a minute, hold on. If God is working in me, why do I need to work anything out? And you say, which one is it? It's both. You say, you're talking, it's not one of the other. No, 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 it's both this morning. And we're going to pull that apart, what it means to work out what God has put inside of us. And it's not talking about work your salvation. Um, we look at Scripture, and the Bible says that salvation is the gift of God. What kind of gift is it if you have to earn it or work for it? It's not much of a gift. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. And uh, many times the mothers represented in this room have definitely earned whatever gifts you give them, whatever meal you're going to take them to, whatever present you're going to buy them. They, are, they have definitely earned it. But it's not much of a gift to say, hey, honey, you've done a great job being a mom this year. I got you something really great. But 
for you to get it, you need to vacuum the room, you need to change the oil on the car, you need to do this list. No, that's not going to work. Working for the gift. Salvation is not something we work for, it's something we're given, but it is something we work out of. And we're going to dive into that truth this morning. And let's open up in the word of prayer and we'll just pull apart this text. I'm excited about this message. I believe God's going to speak to us this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power it has on our lives to be transformative. There is so much inside of me that I need change. There's so much inside of us that we need to change. And I pray that your word would be like the surgeon's knife that is cutting, that takes parts of us that need to go, and that heals the parts that need to be built up. And I pray that you would do an exciting work in among us, and I pray that you would be glorified in this message. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Welcome this morning. This title of the message is The Discipline of Doing. The Discipline of Doing. Have you noticed today, as you look at Scripture, you'll find that there's lots of different illustrations that Jesus would use or the writers would use. You would find agricultural illustrations, the seed being sown. You see that a lot. You see in John 15, Jesus talked about being the vine. Um, You can see in other passages of Scripture in John 4, look out under the fields for they are white already to harvest. This was an agrarian society, and so um, Jesus would often use agricultural illustrations to connect with his audience. I think it's important to connect with the audience using illustrations they can grab a hold of and they can hold on to. I was trying to figure out how I could put Manny Pacquiao losing the Merriweather in the sermon, but it just hurts too bad. You know, it just still, I'm grieving over it this morning. So if I'm out of it, you know, then you know why. And, uh, you know, then I thought maybe there's an Avengers, you know, connection that I could make. It's just too much of a stretch there. And so, but, but we use modern illustrations to tie in truth from the scripture. And so Jesus would often use an agricultural il- illustration. Sometimes he would use an economic illustration. He would talk about money and the economy to make an illustration. Sometimes he would also use architecture as an illustration. He would talk about building. He would talk about building your life and to work and build something. And this morning, we're going to kind of take that thought of working and, and building. But I've noticed today, most people don't want to build anything. They'd rather buy something. They'd rather go to the store and buy it. Except if you go to Ikea. If you go to Ikea, you're going to build that junk. I mean, there is no getting around it. It's a box. It's got a million pieces, and you've got to build it. And yes, in six months, it's going to fall apart. It's going to break. What would you expect? You went to Ikea. It looks nice, but that's all it is. It just looks good. It's not going to last. But when most of the times, instead of we wanting to build something, we just want to buy something. We just want something quick and we kind of want the same with our christian life we just want to say hey where's the where's the quick path to being all that i need to be where's the quick route where's the finished product where is something where i don't have to work at this where i can just kind of take it off the shelf and that's what i want i don't want to spend a lot of time on this i don't necessarily want to cook a full meal i would rather just go to the drive-thru because that kind of gets the job done it's not as nutritious not as healthy it's not good for a lifestyle but it's convenient and so today we have this this thing where there's a lot of convenience christianity instead of people saying no i'm looking to build a life i'm looking to to build a marriage. I'm looking to build a family. I'm looking to build a business. Everybody will look and say, man, I want that family. You got a good family. 
Yeah, you want to take what it took to build this family? Oh, I'd love to have your business. You started that from the ground up. Yeah, you want to know what it took to build this? Yeah, man, you got a great marriage. I really like that marriage. I, I wish I was married to you. You, you want to build this? It, it took some work to build it. You look at another Christian that you admire that you think, man, they just got it made. I, I just think they got a special connection with God. It's like, you know, the old Batman TV show where the president had that red phone and they would just call that red phone and that's how they connect and everything. And they use, some people just think, well, well, somebody's got that red phone to God and they just pick up that red phone and they just, they just dial God and their prayers just go straight to God and mine just don't. You see somebody that's a great Christian, it's, they built that. that. That didn't just happen. Nothing just happens. And sometimes we look around and we just think, well, that just happened. It didn't just happen. This building didn't just happen. Your life didn't just happen. Your marriage didn't just happen. Unless you look at your life and say, it's not all that I want it to be, then maybe it did just happen because you left it alone. And sometimes we look at Christianity, we think, why am I not seeing all that I want? And because of verse number 13, he's saying, we got to work out. We got to work this thing. And the Apostle Paul is talking to this church in Philippi, and I love the way he starts. He starts out from a perspective of fellowship and unity and togetherness, and he's saying, hey, we're in this together. And I love that thought. We're in this together. We don't do this alone because there is a tension between the holy you, the you you want to be, and then the human you. There's the part of you. There's that tension between the two. And you say, I want to just be the holy me. I just want to stay over here where I do things right and I have good thoughts and I'm I'm good to be around and I'm pleasant to be around and, and I'm nice to people. That's the holy you. But too often we revert to the human you where I get upset and I get frustrated. And that's one of the reasons why we don't have bumper stickers at Southridge because I'm, I'm afraid somebody will find out I'm a pastor of a church and man I, I got murderous thoughts to the 90 year old grandma in front of me driving 10 miles per hour below the speed limit you know I just I wouldn't want anybody to know that and so it, it's one of those things where, where we just think where's the tension between the holy and the human you and so the apostle Paul is saying hey we're in this together you're not alone Nobody in this room who's wrestling with that tension saying, hey, yeah, I screwed up this week. Yeah, I did some things I'm not proud of this week. Nobody's sitting here thinking, hmm, shame on you. Nobody's looking around saying, hmm, you haven't been here in a while. Hmm, do you even go to this church? I haven't seen you in a while. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's saying, hmm, you know, uh, uh, what are you wearing? No, no, we're not doing that. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church he loves, and he's saying, hey, guys, we're in this together. This is not something you do on your own. My wife and I, we started doing CrossFit, and I think that's for uh, uh, an occult. Um, everybody in it has got to be a little bit crazy if you do CrossFit. Any CrossFitters in the room? I knew it. You're all normal, all right? So uh, the, the ones of us that do CrossFit, we're just weird. And I, and I figured it out. I told Jane after a couple weeks been doing it, I said, I know now why everybody does CrossFit. Because there is this camaraderie. Everybody's doing the exact same workout. All 20 people, they're doing the exact same workout. They're just at different levels. But they're like, come on, you can do it. Come on. And cheering you on. And, I mean, slapping you on the back. And, come on, give me one more. You know, yelling at you, cheering you on. And the class is not going to move on to the next workout until you finish yours. And you would like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, asthma. You know, I'm good. I Just give me a few minutes. You guys go on ahead. And they're like, no, we're not moving on until you come with us. And I was thinking, that's why people like CrossFit. 
They, they go there for the camaraderie. They go there because they know they're not going to be left behind. They know that they're going to be a part of the group, that the group is saying we're growing and we're going together. And the Apostle Paul is saying this about the church. And he's saying, hey, guys, we have some things we need to work on, don't we all? But he's saying we don't do this alone. We do this together. We're in this together. We don't battle the devil alone. You don't deal with the world alone. You've got a family. You've got people around you that pray for you, lift you up. You're not in this alone. Too often we see people that they say, I just feel so isolated. I just feel so alone. And I'm saying, what church are you a part of? Where's your family? Where are the people that are going to be around you to support you? Get a part of a growth group where you've got that support. And that's what the Apostle Paul, he's leading up to it. And he's saying, hey, we're in this together. We're building. But then he's talking about what we need to do. And then he starts talking about verse number three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. He's saying, hey, look at somebody else and say, and look at them as if they're better than you in a proper way, a good way. Because then you'll be apt to serve them, care about them, reach out to them. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't just be Concerned with yourself is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, look on the needs of others. And this is what's amazing. Here's a church that they were writing to the Apostle Paul, and he's in prison. And he's reminding them to care for the needs of others. He's reminding them to think about others. He can speak from a point of authority because he's not just lecturing on, hey, take care of others and bless others and do good to others. He's speaking from a perspective of I'm in prison and I'm reminding you, bless others, help others, reach out to others. And then it kind of seems like Paul switches gears and then he starts talking about Jesus here. And it's always good to talk about Jesus. And he says this, he says, let this mind be in you, which was which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it a robbery to be equal with God. He's talking about, hey, have this mind, Jesus, son of God, the darling of heaven, who left heaven, came down to earth, put on a dirt suit, was born in a manger, the most humblest of births. Uh, You may have heard your mom or your dad or somebody say, were you born in a barn? Jesus had to answer, Yes, he was. And so he, he, he went to a humble birth. He went to a humble beginnings. People would look at Jesus, and they would often call him Jesus, the, the, the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph, meaning you're illegitimate. Your mom was a prostitute. Your mom was not faithful. That's who you are. It was a put-down. That's what Jesus grew up with. And here Jesus is the now the catalyst. They're looking at him as the example, and they're saying to Jesus, this is Paul pointing to he said hey humble yourselves like jesus did but jesus didn't just humble himself by coming to earth he also deity robed in humanity also went to death to die on the cross you see why is this so powerful why would paul bring this up because when we're talking about serving others and working what God has put inside of us, there needs to be something that we see. And the Apostle Paul is teaching, but then he says, you know what? You don't just need me to teach, to declare something. He's saying, let me give you a demonstration. Because a demonstration is always better than a description. A demonstration is always better than a description. Sometimes you've been in class where the teacher may tell you something, and some of you, you're audible. You'll get that real quick. But then there's some of us, you're maybe like me. If you show me, I got it. I got it. If you'll show me. Don't just tell me. But if you'll show me, 
I got this thing. You walk me through how to do this exercise, how to do the math problem, how to change the tire, how to change the brakes, how to do these things. If you show me how, then I've got it. And Jesus, he's speaking through the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, hey, you need to serve one another, but I don't want to just tell you serve one another. I'm going to give you a demonstration. I'm going to live it out. Too often, we want to imitate ministry, but God wants you to incarnate ministry. He wants it to be out of an incarnation. What do you mean? God says, hey, I want to live through you. I want you to incarnate my love. I want it to put skin and flesh on it. I want it to be real to you. Don't just talk about it. Don't just say, oh, I would do that or somebody should do that, but really be a part of serving. Be a demonstration. You've heard this before. Your walk should be louder than your talk. I was doing a Google search this week, and I just typed in, uh, in Google, all Christians are, and I just left it blank. And you know how Google just try to read your mind, try to, try to read your mind, and then I'm just like, this, Google's crazy, because it, it did. It put in hypocrite. And I was just curious what would come up. Are all Christians loving, kind, awesome, cool, amazing, godly, spiritual? Hypocrites is what it came up with. The way Google works is it works off of searches. Whatever gets typed in, whatever searches, that's what populates to the front, to those search engines. That means a lot of people are talking about Christians and they're labeling us with a word hypocrite. Now, I know it's not true. It's not true. I, I, I know you. It's not true of you, but we have to do a little soul searching for a moment. Could it be true of most Christians, though? Are we guilty of talking about the love of Jesus? Are we guilty of telling others how they should be a good Christian? Are we guilty of not necessarily ever demonstrating, but we're really good at describing the faith? We don't demonstrate it, but we can describe it. We don't have to raise our hands. We don't have to answer out loud, but I would dare say many of us are guilty, me included, of being quick to describe the faith and rarely do I actually step in and demonstrate my faith. Where I step into a messy situation, where I step into a scene where somebody doesn't need me to describe the love of Jesus Christ, they need me to demonstrate it in their life. You know, your wife doesn't want you just to describe your love. They want a demonstration. They want it on their birthday, they want it on Christmas, Valentine's Day, every holiday, every day is good, but they want a demonstration of your love. What is this world needing? A demonstration, not a description, but what are we often giving them? A description. We need a demonstration this morning. There's a great need for a demonstration. But let's not excuse or escape our responsibility. Too often we're looking for the excuse. We're looking for the reason to excuse, to escape. Here Jesus, Paul is talking about, hey, look church at Philippi. They're in this together. But let's start out with the example of Jesus. Jesus was working. He was serving. He was doing something. But he declared it. He was a demonstration of it. He lived it out. Too often we don't. Let's continue reading verse number eight. The Bible says this and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. You see, God says, hey, if you will. Lower yourself. Humble yourself. I'll exalt you. 
But the word exalt here isn't just just a, a, a little word meaning to exalt. It means to super exalt or to uh, hyper exalt. It means to exalt to the highest. It means as you say, I'm going to seek for to serve, then I'm going to exalt. And every time I read through this passage, I kept going back to the night before the crucifixion of Jesus. He said, what happened in the night before the crucifixion of Jesus? You can read about it in John's gospel, uh, chapter 16. You can read it there. Jesus, as they were eating the Last Supper together, this is where we get our communion service from. The Bible says that as the disciples are fellowshipping, they're eating, they're breaking bread, they're having a good time, they're drinking some wine, and they're together, they're enjoying this time of fellowship. Jesus looks around the room, and he noticed that there was a custom that was missed in this day and age. It was customary when you would come into the house that someone would wash your feet and would wash you up and get you clean. Nobody had done this. None of the disciples did it for the other disciples. Matter of fact, the disciples often had a discussion among them. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Matter of fact, John and his brother got their mom involved, and they said, hey, mama, go ask Jesus if we can sit at his left and his right hand in the kingdom. Can you believe it? Kind of get your mama to do things. If you're still asking your mama to do stuff for you, it's time to say, no, 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 I'm going to get past this. I remember when I was growing up, my mom took me over and said, hey, Makai, can you reach the washing machine? Can you push that button? And I was thinking, oh, mom needs a big, strong man to do it. And I was like, sure, I can. So I pushed the button. She was like, good, you get to do your laundry now. Congratulations. No, what was I thinking? I was tricked. You deceived me. Oh, woman, you know, and she got me. That's a good lesson. Some of you moms may want to put it into practice, you know. It works with husbands, too, just throwing it out there, just free. Man, we are having church today. Amen. Aren't you glad you're in the house of God? It's going to be good. So here they were. They're in the upper room, and Jesus has now girded himself. He looks up, and he says, nobody's, nobody's done this because it's kind of a humbling thing. Jane and we were talking about how we don't we don't really much care for feet. We don't we don't like looking at other people's feet, and and, and you know it's just something about feet. We're just kind of like uh, not really all into that. You know, some of you may not feet don't bother you, but we're just kind of like no, we're not into feet. You know, for whatever reason. And uh, uh, we were walking in flip flops, and we were just like yeah, we're just not real into feet. And uh, so some of you may feel that way, but imagine feet that have been in the dirt. They're callous. They're hard. They've been walking not smelling so great. A bath was a luxury in this culture. And Jesus steps up, grabs a towel. This is the very God of heaven, come down to earth, puts on a towel, grabs a bowl, kneels down at the first disciple. Hey, Nathaniel, I'm going to wash your feet now. And I imagine at first people may have thought, it's going to be a joke. What's Jesus doing? He's our leader. He's our, he's our rabbi, our teacher. He, he should not be doing this. And he starts to say, I'm, I'm going to wash your feet. Begins to unloose his sandals, begins to, to wash his feet. And all of a sudden, the disciples, I'm sure, just got quiet. The, the scriptures doesn't, doesn't say, except for Peter, that he was the only one to speak up and says, No, Lord, you won't, you won't wash my feet. I won't let you do that. And then Jesus says, No, I'm going to. That's the picture I get of humility. Here was a person that was willing to humble himself, to do the most menial of tasks, not only just to die on a cross, but yet to almost humiliate himself. But God says, hey, because he was willing to go down, because he was willing to humble himself, I will exalt him. You see, if you lift yourself up in pride, you're going to fall down in pride. Because the Bible says, hey, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We oftentimes are going to deal with our pride. 
You'll see it in a boardroom meeting. You'll see it in any fight. You'll see that element of pride that I've got to have my way. I've got to have it done the way I want it done. It, it, there's no compromise allowed. There's no working together. It's my way or the highway. And all, oftentimes you can see at the root of that argument is pride and ego. And here the scriptures will tell us that if you are going to be proud, God says, I resist you. It's the only sin where God says, I resist you. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter number six, you can read it. God made a list that said, there are six things that I hate. Now, if God makes a list of six things that he hates, we should pay attention. And then he adds a seventh one just for good measure, like bonus round. I got a bonus thing that I hate. One of them is a haughty look and pride. It says God hates it. I don't want to be doing anything that God hates. But here's what I found. If I'm prideful and I think I'm all that, it kills my service. I don't want to serve anybody. Why? Because I feel like I deserve deserve something. I deserve a better position, deserve a better standing, that I, I'm above that, that I'm, I'm, I've, I've matured past that. You see, here's Jesus. He's talking about, and he's saying, hey, look, look, uh, you, you Christians, you go out there, and you, you want to make a big splash. But I want to remind you of something. This is what Paul's saying. A declaration without a demonstration is empty. A declaration. I'm a Christian. I follow God. Who do you serve? Myself. It's empty. Apostle Paul went on to write in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And he was talking about love and he was talking about love for others. And he's saying in this passage, he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. I'm just empty noise. No point. He says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can, I can remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. If you're, if you're missing this key ingredient, if you're missing this part of your life, if you're missing this in your Christianity, then he's saying it's empty, it's void. Too often we're okay with the declaration, but we never follow through to the demonstration because if we just allow our faith to just be a declaration, we're missing out. Without a demonstration, a declaration is empty. The Bible says this in James. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. I go back to my opening illustration. A lot of us would rather buy something than build something. Faith without works. We want to look around and say, oh, I want to have what they have. Got to work for it. I want to get that. Got to work for it. Got to serve. Got to get involved. Now we're looking at verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But the preceding verse says, hey, but work out your own salvation. The Apostle Paul now goes from almost a mining term. He's saying, hey, there is gold, there is jewels, there is something valuable inside of you, but you've got to work and dig that other stuff out to get to the valuable stuff. It's hard work digging. It's not fun to dig. I grew up in... Uh, Fresno area. We live just outside of Fresno in the awesome metropolis of Madeira. And uh, when we lived out there, there wasn't much to do. We lived on ten, uh, two acres. And so my brothers and I have uh, five brothers total, but at that time there was just uh, four of us. And uh, we just got bored one day, so we decided let's dig an underground fort. You say, what's an underground fort? We got some shovels and we just started digging in the dirt. We dug three big holes in the ground and then we connected them via tunnels and then what we did these holes were about i'd say about five six feet deep and they were about the same width around and they were pretty big and then we put two by fours across the holes and then we got uh, uh this old 
my parents had their house built, so we took some of the other wood, and we laid the wood across. Then we got a tarp in case it rained, put that over it, and then we put dirt and grass that grew on top of the tarp. And so once it all kind of grew up, you could stand at our house and look out into the field because it was kind of a field area. You wouldn't know that that underground fort was there. And so our friends would come over, and uh, we would ditch them, and we'd run out to the field, and we would disappear into this underground fort. And they were just like, where did they go? The hole, we also made it the same thing. We got a board, put tarp, and then we put dirt on top of it. We could cover the hole. You wouldn't know. It was like camouflage. We could be snipers, and we could take you out, and you'd never know it. Maybe we did. I don't know. I'm not telling. But that's what we did. We had this underground fort, and we'd dig down there. We had fort. It was awesome. People come over and like, that is an awesome fort. Check out that fort, you know. But we were digging, and it took time to dig. It was hard work to dig. It's hard work to dig and develop in your life. There's work that needs to go on to cultivate. Why? Because you're going down for the gold. You've got to work out what God has deposited in you. Many times we just say, God, how about you just give me the gift? Just give it to me. I don't want to have to work for it. Becky, every Sunday she sits and plays at the piano. I guarantee you she practiced. Uh, It didn't just happen. Anybody who does anything in life, no matter what you do, I don't care if you're a software engineer, I don't care if you're a chef, you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever you are good at, you had to develop, you had to work, you had to continue to develop that skill and that gift. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, in your Christian life, once you got saved, that's not the end of it. There's something you need to work out. There's some stuff you've got to develop. There's some stuff you've got to bring forth. But oftentimes, we're not willing to bring it forth. We're not willing to dig it out. We would rather just kind of dig a little bit instead of digging down deep and finding those rich jewels and finding what God has for us, those valuable blessings, those things that God wants us to dig out of our life. And God says, hey, I want you to dig down. I want you to make something of your life. We need to dig deeper in our life. The true test of a servant is whether he minds being treated like one. And and some of you, you're not digging down deep where where everything is affecting you. And so when somebody calls you a servant or calls you out as a servant, it it affects you. And you get bothered by it because you haven't dug down deep enough to find what is there. Some of you right now, you're digging. You're in a season where you're saying, I'm just digging. And when you're digging, it's not real glamorous, is it? When you're, when you're laying the foundation for something, it's not, doesn't seem all that impressive. Have you noticed our world, we never applaud for foundations. We don't. We don't get excited about a foundation. We get excited about a skyscraper. We'll go to New York, and we want to be on top of the uh, um, uh, Empire Building, the State Building, or we want to be on top of these high buildings and take a selfie. We want, that's where we want to be. We want to look out and say, man, look at the finished product. Nobody's taking selfies of the, hey, pouring the foundation, check this out. So right now, you may be at a stage of your Christian life, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on above the surface. But I'd like to say this, the most vital part about you is invisible. It may not be visible, but it's vital. Because too often we see lives and we think, what's going on there? What, what, are, they, what are they doing? What's happening? The Apostle Paul, is, he, he's trying to bring them to the point of saying, hey, Christian, you're going to be busy doing something, serving others, digging things out, finding the, the, the wealth that is inside of you and digging it out, bringing it forth. It's not just going to be handed to you. But too often we have Christians who are just kind of like sitting back and we're like, what happened? Because they missed out that they've got to bring these things forth. See, the power of your demonstration is based on your depth on your depth. That's where the power comes from, from the depth. When we go down deep and mine deep, when you see something, a tree or something large, there was something that went down deep. And when we don't go down deep, that's when we miss out. That's when things fall. That's when things go wrong. 
And I know doing is difficult. I know the digging is hard, but it's important. But too often we say, no, I don't want to. No, I'm I'm okay, and and I, I don't need to keep digging. I don't need to keep working. But that's where verse 13 comes in. It says, as you're working, you're not working alone. God says, I'm working too. You're working, and I'm working. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working. Some of you, you're saying, I'm working on me, and don't just give up on me. But then God says, I'm entering in this work with you. But I will say this, and let me step back. Nobody can do the work for you, though. Let me illustrate it this way. Nobody, I, I couldn't say, hey, I've had a busy week. Is there somebody in the church that could take uh, my wife out on a date? I'm just really busy, and I, I, I'm working on our marriage, but uh, I, I just need somebody to take her out on a date, take her out in a nice place, and, and I'll pay for it. No, nobody, can, nobody can develop my relationship with my wife for me. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in your relationship. Uh, I've had a rough week. Is there somebody that can uh, just kind of take Megan and Austin and tell them Daddy loves them and cares about them and, and spend some quality time with them for me? It's funny, isn't it? It's laughable. Nobody can build your life with God. Nobody can do that work for you. Nobody, you can't, you can't just podcast that out. You can't just, oh, I'll just kind of go to a sermon once a week, and that'll, that'll help me out. You can't just say, you know what, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll let a good Christian book do the work for me. No, you've got to get in your life and say, if I'm going to have a walk with God, if I'm going to go deeper, I've got to do some digging. I've got to get to work. God is in the work with me, but I can't farm this out. I can't substitute it out. This is something that I've got to do. There is a law in Scripture, it's cyclical, it's the law of sowing and reaping. It's this idea that you need to feed what feeds you. You need to pour in what's pouring into you. The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall also reap. If your Christian life sucks, it's because you haven't done anything to invest into it. If you're saying, I'm discouraged, and I'm worried, and, 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 and I'm bothered by things, and, and, I, and the sky is falling, and I don't know how I'm going to make it, it's because you haven't put down roots deep enough. You haven't driven it down deep enough where there's anything really there. And so the need for you is to say, I'm going to go down deeper and deeper and let God start to work and let God start to develop and put that in you. You see, some of you, you're trying to get more out of Something than you've actually put into it. You ever overdrafted on a bank account? That happens because we took more out than we put in. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, God is working in you. But you've got to work out. And some of you, you're trying to get more out of your Christian life than you've ever put in. You haven't invested. You're saying, God, I, I give you one hour out of 162 hours a week. But God, take care of my future. God, take care of my marriage. Take care of my children. And God is saying, you gave me an hour. That's not even 10% of your work week. That's not even 10% of anything. But yet you're trying to get 30 and 40 and 50%. Some of you, you you wonder why your relationships aren't going very well. What are you investing into? I would dare say you're getting what you've invested. And if you've invested nothing, you're getting nothing. I can't sow disrespect to my parents and expect my children to love and respect me. It doesn't work. All of life is cyclical. There's the cycle. Everywhere you go in life, there's the cycle. 
You want kindness? Sow kindness. You want love? Sow love. You want finances? You sow it. You want something in life? You sow it. You give it. You give it. You go. You dig. You give first. And God says, I'll take care of it because it's cyclical. And some of you are looking at your life and saying, I'm burnt out right now because you're not feeding what feeds you. God is saying, hey, I want to work in you, but you're not doing anything. You're just sitting on your hands thinking, well, well, that pastor just doesn't feed me. Excuse me. Excuse me. My responsibility is to feed you, yes, once a week. But I'm not there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's on you. And if you're saying my spiritual life is dry, Christianity is dead, what are you doing six days of the week? I'll make you this promise. I'll show up on Sunday and I'll be ready for you. I'll bring the word. I'll study. I'll, I'll, bring, you, I'll bring you a meal. I will do the best I can to make sure it is a banquet meal. To make sure you eat good for 45 minutes to an hour. But the rest of the week, you can't just say, I fasted all week. And think, why do I feel so weak? You don't go to the doctor and say, Doc, I just haven't been feeling good. Well, let's talk about it. What did you eat this week? Well, I, I ate last Sunday. Well, it's Saturday. So you ate six days ago? Of course you're feeling weak. What are you investing in? What have you sown? Some of you want this church to give you more back than you've ever invested in this church. You say, oh, God, just come here and soak it in. And we want that for you. You come, be blessed, amen. Some of you are fine to be served. You're fine to let somebody watch your kids in the nursery, but you won't ever watch somebody else's kids in the nursery. Excuse me? You're fine to, you, you love to have a greeter out there to greet you with a smile and make sure you get your coffee, but you'll never set out the coffee and you'll never greet anybody? I know we got guests here, but, but it's just us. It's just family. We're in this together, right? Amen? But sometimes we act like, y'all keep doing it. Come on, you go ahead of me. I'm good. Whenever, and I, I'll, I'm going to be honest, I don't like to run. And we were running at the gym. And I even told Jane, I said, y'all, just go ahead. I'm just, I'm just, I don't want to go cramp, you know? And, and then they, they went around the other side of the building. It's just me. And I was like, oh, I just walked. <laughs> I just walked. The coach and the instructor was up in front of me. I just walked. I got to catch my breath. How many times are we doing this? Five times. Oh, heaven help me. I'm walking. And then as soon as they could see me, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Some of us, that's how we do our Christian life. If nobody's looking, nobody's checking on you, you don't do jack unless somebody's checking on you. When are you going to say, you know what? Yeah, God. It's time to bring forth something. It's time to birth something. I'll tell you this. The sweetest things in life always take some sweat. That's good. I liked it. I'm going to tweet that later on. The sweetest things in life take some sweat. And if you just think my Christian life is going to be awesome and dynamic and strong, but it's not going to take any effort on your part, excuse me, it's not going to work. Let me just be the first to tell you, it won't work. I want you to have an awesome spiritual life. I want you to have a great marriage. I want you to have awesome children. But life is cyclical. You've got to pour into them. Feed what feeds you. Some of you, you're, you're looking at your life and you're, you're feeding things that aren't feeding you. You're not investing into those things that are investing into you. And it's time to, to invest. What if I just showed up on my job and just said, I'm not going to do any work, but every two weeks I better see that paycheck in my bank account. 
I'm not doing jack, but every two weeks, buddy. How long do you think I'm going to last? Maybe two weeks. Maybe. Unless I'm really good at hiding. But sometimes we do the same thing. We just think, you know what? I'm just going to. My wife, she's always grumpy. My goodness. Always moody. I don't know what's wrong with that woman. What have you invested? What have you sown? My kids, just like Satan's into them. Passion, come over here. Bring some oil. Let's cast out some demons out of my children. When's the last time you spent some time with them? When's the last time you just loved on them? Poured into them? It's hard. I, I, I know what it is. At our job, we're rewarded based on performance. Relationship, not so much. It's performance. When we get home, we're rewarded based on relationship, not performance. And so the wife says, how come you're not spending any time with the family? I just fixed the back screen door that you've been wanting me to fix. That should count for something. No, it's relationship. It's investing. It's cyclical. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, we're in this together. We got to, we got to, the, the doing, and I, and I put the title, it's a discipline of doing. The church, I think, has lost the discipline. You've seen it today. We live in a day and age where people live without conviction. No conviction for anything. We have no conviction for our country, no convictions over our family, no convictions over the word, no convictions over church, no conviction. We just live without convictions. It's rare. It's awesome when you find somebody who has some conviction about themselves. That they will stand up and say, you know what? This is what my family's going to do. This is where my marriage is going to go. We will go to the house of the Lord today. Joshua said it best. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Made the decision, some conviction. My prayer is that we would have a church full of people that says, you know what? If life is cyclical, and if I'm getting out what I'm putting in, then I need to do some more. But here's the truth, and here's the promise, and this is what's so awesome. God can always do way more than what you put in. You will reap way more case in point. Throughout the Gospels there's multiple illustrations of a boy just brought a couple loaves and a few fishes and God fed 20,000 people. God can take a little bit and do a lot if you'll bring something. The discipline of doing. We've got to get back to church where we actually do something. Every head bowed and every eye closed.